Welcome to Brain Health Breakthroughs, where we help you get smarter, think faster, remember more, and feel happier and healthier too. I'm Peggy Sarlin, and today we're going to answer this fascinating question. What do depression and autoimmune disorders like Hashimoto's and addiction and early Alzheimer's and gut problems all have in common? They can all be caused by brain injuries and concussions. My guest today is Dr. Titus Chu, a functional neurologist who's blazing new paths of healing for all kinds of health problems by fixing the underlying brain issues. He's helped thousands of patients recover from post-concussion syndrome in his medical center in Berkeley, California. He's the author of the best-selling book, Brain Save, and he's a survivor of brain trauma who's put his personal experience to use helping others heal. Welcome, Dr. Chu. Thank you, Peggy. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Now, doctor, in your book, you say there's a silent epidemic of concussions going on. So let's talk about the silent epidemic. What are some problems that people may be suffering from that they have absolutely no idea might have its origins in a head injury? Sure. And that's such a great question. And the reason why I call it a silent epidemic, specifically post-concussion syndrome, is because I think there's so many people out there struggling with these mystery symptoms, and not even just brain symptoms, that can be directly correlated with the previous concussion. And so just to step back for a second, we have to really define what a concussion is, and more specifically, what post-concussion syndrome is. And so post-concussion syndrome is a collection of different symptoms that people experience after a head injury or after a concussion. And so depending on which area of the brain is impacted, that's what explains this multitude of different presentations, manifestations, and symptoms that people might be struggling with. So as an example of a physical symptom that someone might have after a concussion are the more common ones, right? So something like a headache or light and sound sensitivity or perhaps brain fog and brain fatigue. In addition to that, things such as insomnia can also be triggered by concussion. I can't tell you how many patients come to me after months or years after their concussion and the biggest number one thing they're struggling with is insomnia. And the flip side, I can't tell you how many patients have come to me in my over 15 years in practice with insomnia as their chief concern, but they didn't realize that it was actually due to a previous concussion that they had years prior. So those are some examples of physical symptoms. You can also have mental symptoms. So like things such as I mentioned earlier, brain fog or perhaps memory issues or cognitive dysfunction. When you look at the research, a concussion could more than double the risk of developing something like dementia later on in life, right? So those are some mental symptoms that people can experience after a concussion. So things like memory issues or being easily distracted, what we call executive functions of the brain, like being able to plan your day, organize your life. Those things can be, you know, thrown off after a concussion. So those are some mental symptoms. But on top of that, there can be 
emotional symptoms like anxiety and you mentioned earlier depression i can or just mood disorders not being able to manage their emotions because there's specific other areas of the brain that are very much in control of our emotions right but on top of that like i mentioned earlier there's also biochemical symptoms meaning there can be immune dysfunction someone constantly getting sick or more susceptible to infections if the areas of the nervous system like the what we call the autonomic nervous system gets thrown off and then there's that disconnect between the control from the brain to the immune system leading to you know chronic people getting sick all the time or perhaps even autoimmunity so those are all the different symptoms right, across the board that people can experience after a, a concussion. I think that's news for a lot of people who are listening, including maybe some people in the medical field who are listening. I mean, mm-hmm. if you go to your doctor and you say, doctor, uh, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I can't sleep, and uh, I have terrible gut problems, uh, is the doctor going to say, maybe you had a concussion a few years back? Is that is that going to be a uh, typical response? <laughs> No, absolutely not. And I can tell you from personal experience, you know, being in practice for so long, that wasn't how I started the conversation with, you know, my patients when they came with all these lists of symptoms. But after, you know, I, I was practicing in my clinic in Chicago, actually, I had a clinic in Chicago for many years before coming out to California. And I would see patients with all different types of chronic health challenges. And I'd work with them and I do the standard protocols and the stuff that I learned when I say standard was already pretty cutting edge, you know? Right. I look at gut health, I look at hormones, I look at nutrition and lifestyle. And many of my patients would get better when would they do these quote unquote standard treatment protocols. But there was a certain subset of patients that no matter what I did with the more you know, the standard treatments that I'd offer, they weren't getting better. And I just scratched my head and I stood back from it and, you know, looked at it in greater detail and explored it. And I was asking, I was wondering why, why aren't these patients getting better? And then I discovered a huge percentage of them had a history of a concussion. They just didn't let me know in the initial evaluation because it didn't seem like a big deal to them. So I started finding this correlation and I started doing a deeper dive, really trying to understand why some of these patients weren't getting better. And again, I found that, whoa, there was this physical trauma. And then I learned that you don't actually need a head injury. You don't need a physical blow to your head to experience a concussion. And so, so many people, I I would say the last I looked, millions of people throughout the world fall through the cracks of conventional medicine because they're not properly diagnosed. And so they end up going to their doctors with anxiety or depression or insomnia or autoimmunity or gut problems. And, you know, the ones that aren't so typical concussion symptoms, right? They show up and then they end up being put on these medications for anxiety or they end up going to talk therapy. I mean, don't get me wrong. Those things are necessary, right? But if it's due to, in part, a concussion, a concussion is a neurobiological trauma. So the treatment needs to be totally directed towards that, right? And I can't, again, I I don't want to 
come off saying that those medications or the talk therapy or the psychotherapy aren't important, right? But they don't necessarily address the underlying root cause, which is the physical injury and all the physiological mechanisms that happen afterwards as a result of the concussion. So I think we've already learned two hugely important things from you, which is that many, many symptoms that are terribly troublesome and very disruptive to your life may have a completely different origin than you or your doctor suspect, including some of the things you mentioned of anxiety, insomnia, autoimmune, gut. Uh, we'll, we'll review some more. And if you're going to get better, and we'll talk about how to do that, cast wide net of what some of what you're feeling might be attributed to. It opens up new avenues for healing. And of course, we're going to get into that. So that's the first thing to say, oh, maybe this chronic pain. Oh, maybe this autoimmune disorder. Oh, maybe my SIBO. Maybe it's a concussion. And the other thing we've already learned is a concussion doesn't necessarily mean something bad happens and you're in a coma for two weeks. Mm-hmm. It may not even from the way you're describing it as whiplash, such as you might get in a crazy roller coaster ride, right? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't even have to have the actual impact with the skull. It can be mm-hmm. just a jarring mode where the brain gets shaken up inside and mm-hmm. therefore this trauma results that kind of cascades over the years. Does it tend to get worse and worse if it's not treated? Is there a cascading effect? Yeah, there definitely can be. You know, that's then we start talking about what I mentioned earlier, post-concussion syndrome, where patients and you know, I experienced this myself after months or years after that original injury, even if it wasn't a head injury, right. develop all these symptoms. And the end game of that is what we call chronic traumatic encephalopathy, right? And we hear about that a lot in the news, NFL players, hockey players, people in high contact sports, right? right developing these things. And but But the thing is, two things about that. Number one, you don't have to be in high contact sports to develop post-concussion syndrome, to have a concussion and potentially chronic traumatic encephalopathy. But the second important point is because it's this process, it's not like somebody just wakes up one day with chronic traumatic encephalopathy. It's not like somebody wakes up one day with dementia or Alzheimer's. Right. Those processes happen, especially things like Alzheimer's and dementia, right. over the course of 20 or 30 years, as you know, Peggy. So the great news is there's so many points that we can enter that progression and shift the trajectory for a person so they don't have to end up with CTE or Alzheimer's or dementia, all these other chronic debilitating neurological disorders. So there's so much that can be done because we understand more and more what's actually happening under the hood, so to speak, of our brains. What I did after I started to see this pattern with my patients on my intake forms, I have a specific place, right, for head injuries. Have you had a head injury? It's like before I didn't have that, before I had it a place where I wrote about, you know, you know, for my patients in their intake forms, it's like fill in if you've had any type of injury, but it wasn't specific to concussion. So even before I became a specialist of concussion, it was like this journey for me of understanding 
And so from there, when I added that to my intake form, that's when I started to capture, you know, and not let these patients fall through the cracks anymore. Mm, that's really interesting. That's really interesting just to have that awareness of what to look for. That's the first step. So, exactly. The awareness is so important. You got it. Well, some of these repercussions that we've discussed are incredibly serious. And you're telling us there's hope. There is hope. That's the most important thing. So maybe let's talk about why there's hope. The concept of neuroplasticity and of being able to shape and rewire the brain in ways that are desirable for the outcomes we want. So give us hope with neuroplasticity. Absolutely. Yeah. Neuroplasticity really is the foundation of my life's work. It's the foundation of how I heal my brain after my concussion. And it's what I bring to the table with all my patients and private clients. And it's this miracle, this amazing ability of your brain and nervous system to literally change its shape. And when you change the shape of your brain, you can change its structure. And when you change the structure, you change the function, meaning that if you've had a head injury, the damage isn't irreversible. There's things we can do to help heal and rewire the nervous system and reboot the brain, so to speak. The history of neuroplasticity goes back over 200 years. Like there's an anatomist, an Italian anatomist who looked at, explored like the tissues and the brains and found that there was different areas of the brain that couldn't get larger, right? And so from there, and then all the way fast forward to now where we're at, you know, 200 years later, there's so much more understanding of how we can trigger that response and accelerate it, right? And so within the past, I would say, two decades, there's just been an explosion of this. But as we had talked earlier, Peggy, in a previous conversation, there's that lag between these scientific discoveries, you know, what scientists are discovering in the research labs, and then what you can actually get at your local doctor's office. So there's this huge lag. And typically when it comes to healthcare, it's 20 or 30 years. But when it comes to the brain, I found it's even longer, right? And right. so the great thing is there are these things that we've learned that can accelerate and really harness the power of neuroplasticity to change a person's nervous system and heal it. You know, and this idea of neuroplasticity... Uh, it might be a big fancy term, but I have a feeling most people listening to this have heard this before. But not only have you guys heard this, you've experienced this. Neuroplasticity is the basis for how you learn how to walk, how to talk, how to ride a bike. Right. You know, so the more you do a certain activity, the specific areas of your brain that are in charge of those activities, like riding a bike or playing a piano, they get stronger and the connections start to form uh, and get even more powerful. And so that communication becomes more efficient and then you become, it gets easier to do those things. But we can take the same idea, the same principles that allowed a person to ride a bike, you know, learn how to uh, read and write or whatever. We can take the same ideas and figure out which area of the brain was injured. And then from there, do specific either treatments or even at-home exercises to trigger neuroplasticity to heal those areas of the brain. So I can't tell you how many times, you know, how many patients have come to me, even if they've tried, you know, medications or even diet changes or supplements, 
And I do a deep dive. I figure out which area of the brain was injured. And then I give them specific exercise to do at home. Some of them sometimes seem so like trivial, so small, but because it was specific to what their brain needed, it was what began to turn the needle for them in their healing process. So yeah, the great news is through the miracle of neuroplasticity, there is a lot of hope that even after a concussion, a person can heal. I was able to do it. I've guided thousands of patients and private clients through that process. And I know the same is possible for many of our listeners out there. Well, hope itself uh, is a brain state, right? I mean, when you, when you feel hope, it, there's a certain biochemical uh, reaction going on in your mind as opposed to when you're feeling hopeless. And so, exactly. so you want to be in a state of hope where you believe mm. that what Dr. Ju is telling you, <laughs> Dr. Ju is telling you that there are specific exercises you can do. We're going to get into all of that. And that if you are, well, let's say, you know, one of the symptoms uh, in post-concussion syndrome that you list is lack of motivation. So mm. if you tell yourself, you listen to this and you say, there's hope. So I'm going to motivate myself because the more I do this, the more I'll find the motivation, the more I believe in the reality of this promise, the more I can motivate myself. So offering your clients hope, your patients hope is something beautiful and and necessary, right? Absolutely. Hope is so important. And it's, you know, it sounds like such a soft concept which is it, it is, you know, it's very important for the human spirit and for us to move us forward. But even research shows that, you know, the way I look at it, when we have a vision of our future self, right, and we step into that versus getting stuck in the past, you know, the chances for success of, you know, reaching those goals skyrockets, right? So I look at hope as this, it's like, okay, there's hope. And then what is that future self, right? With all my patients and private clients, a lot of my work is rooted in positive psychology. It's like, okay, yeah, this stuff happened. You had a head injury. You feel terrible. Life doesn't feel that good right now. Okay, that happened. Now what? What do you want? Well, how, you know, what What are your goals? Like, that's how I start the conversation. It's like, what's your health goal? Right. Because I want my patients and my private clients to create that image of their future self so they can step into that. And that's one of the most powerful secrets of hope. It opens the door for that future self, like the emotional areas. And then from there, we clarify what is that? Like, oh, so I I can get back to work and support my family, Mm. or I can be able to go exercise again without feeling terrible afterwards. So these specific ideas of who they want to step into, I found that to be so powerful. So even though hope is such a, you know, it's so important emotionally and it's kind of like soft, fluffy thing, I root that in then this positive psychological process of like, what is that future self that you want to step into? What are your health goals? And I find that to be so motivating because, you know, for those of you out there, if you're listening to this, most likely you're struggling with a chronic health issue or a loved one is, right? right? And I've been through that process and it can get really discouraging. So keeping, you know, your eye on the prize, so to speak, and what is that future self that you want to step into? Why do you want to step into it? Being really clear on that, right? And then I find that hope is that emotional fuel that helps get us there. 
I recently became a health coach and that's very much in the uh, ballpark of, of what health coaches do to, to motivate, to inspire, to get there, to cheerlead and encourage. And, and hope is, is the foundation. So you call yourself a root cause neurologist because you want to get down to the root causes of these problems and then treat those. And you mentioned in the book, there are five particular neural networks and, and you know, sequences mm-hmm. of brain connections that you find uh, are particularly affected in post-concussion syndrome. So mm-hmm. I thought we could just, you know, I could kind of read the, the name of the link and you could tell me some of the things that that, uh, some of the symptoms that might show up. So to show how you work, that you're somebody comes to you and by the nature of their symptoms, you can kind of see, oh, that kind of sounds like it's the prefrontal cortex or that's the brain stems. Mm-hmm. And these tend to be areas that I suppose are more impacted by concussion. They're, they're the most exposed to these kinds of traumas. Yes, that's correct. Exactly. So just to step back for a second, when we talk about neural networks, those are these communication hubs, these areas of the nervous system that are, like I said earlier, when I was saying how the nervous system is one of the major master regulators of our brain and body, there's specific regions within the brain have distinct functions. So for example, the prefrontal cortex is involved in executive functions, like I said earlier, being able to organize your thoughts and you know plan your day or to show up on time for appointments, as an example, and to stay focused and on task. And then there's another neural network related to balance and coordination and core stability and strength that we call the cerebellum, right? So my point is these neural networks that are these areas and communication hubs that are in charge of virtually all of the functions that we have as human beings, right? There's even neural networks that control digestion and the speed of your heart rate, right? Right. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, that's why concussions can lead to all these seemingly disparate symptoms, right? Mystery symptoms. is because depending on which area of the brain was injured, you can then have a breakdown in that function, right? So what I talk about in my book is the top five neural networks that I've seen people struggle with, right, or that were injured after a concussion. And so um, I already mentioned two of them, like the prefrontal cortex as well as the cerebellum. And so if you have injury to those areas, like the prefrontal cortex, you can end up feeling easily distracted. You can have brain fog, experience brain fatigue. I see that a lot. Uh-huh. In addition to that, I actually see the, the prefrontal cortex, there's areas of the frontal lobe, which, you know, the frontal lobe, if you put your hand right over your forehead, right, virtually, literally right behind your skull, there's what we call the prefrontal cortex. Right. But there's other areas of the frontal lobe that deal with the control of eye movements. And so a lot of patients I work with after a concussion, they'll be on their computer and they'll describe to me, it's like, yeah, when I'm on my computer, it's like, all of a sudden things get blurry for a little bit or it's, and I went to the eye doctor, I got my eyes checked and everything was fine. The reason for that, at least one of the reasons is because there could have been injury to the prefrontal cortex and it's not able to control and stabilize the eye movements as well. And that's one of the top five root causes. Uh, Neural networks is the prefrontal cortex. And the second one that I see a lot, I mentioned earlier is the temporal or the, Um, Actually, yeah, the five, the temporal lobe, 
which is really important for mentation, for thinking processes, for really analyzing. It's also really important for memory. And so, but it's also important for emotional regulation. So after a concussion, I see a lot of patients, they start having issues with memory, right? right? Or they start having issues with emotional regulation. And there's areas of the temporal lobe that actually control the stress response. And they feel stuck in the state of stress, even though things in their life might be okay. And another area of uh, the another neural network is what we call the cerebellum. I mentioned that earlier. That's in charge of balance and coordination and core stability. So a lot of patients after concussion, they end up having chronic neck pain, uh-huh. right? And no matter how much they get go to the chiropractor or they get acupuncture or they get massage, the neck pain comes back. But guess why? It's because the cerebellum was injured. And it wasn't able to control the muscles of the core anymore, leading to muscle weakness and then spasm, as an example. And so until we did things to trigger neuroplasticity in the cerebellum, their neck pain didn't go away. Right. And so that's another neural network I see. Another common area of the brain that's impacted after concussion is what we call the vestibular system. And it's part of this neural network or communication hub that starts in our inner ear and goes all the way to the brain. And the vestibular system's in charge of eye movements, and it's in charge of balance, it's in charge of, you know, again, core muscle stability. And a lot of times people who have injury to their inner ear, and by the way, it's a very fragile, delicate structure within deep, you know, buried deep in your ear. That's a very, very common source of injury in people after a concussion. Right. And so they might, those people, they might develop vertigo or they might develop poor balance or coordination. A lot of times they end up having motion sickness. One of the top, you know, complaints, you know, concerns I get from my, my patients with concussion is they can't drive anymore. Right. After their concussion, they're like, even driving for like 10 minutes, they feel totally nauseous. So they just feel really like stressed out. They think it's from maybe the trauma from the car accident. That's part of it, right? The emotional, the psychological, that fear. There's this huge physical reason why is because the inner ear was injured. And so any type of movement that they experience in a car, like an up and down movement or driving in a car, windy road, there it's overwhelming, right? It's just too much information coming in their nervous system that they can't process anymore. And they end up either feeling nauseous or they get headaches or they get triggered like a stress response, right? And so that's a very common area I see is the vestibular system. And then finally, there's an area that we call the brainstem that sits in between our brain and our spinal cord. And the brainstem's job is to control all of what we call our autonomic functions. So things such as respiration, our heart rate, right? the size and diameter of our pupils, the size and diameter of our blood vessels. In addition, it actually controls the motility of our gut, right? And it controls the release of digestive enzymes in our digestive system as well as blood flow to the gut. And so I see that very often as well. Oh, by the way, the brainstem actually controls the sleep-wake cycle, Right. <laughs> right. So everything that you we had started this conversation with, Peggy, like all those different conditions and symptoms, 
You know, I hope people are starting to get that aha moment. That's why a concussion can lead to all that. Depending on which area of the brain those neural networks were impacted will then be the root cause for those symptoms. Those are the top five areas of the nervous system that I see impacted after a concussion, the prefrontal cortex, the temporal lobe, the cerebellum, the inner ear vestibular system, as well as the brainstem. And again, going back to the original, you know, what we were talking about earlier, those are, again, the reasons why we see, I see at least in my practice, so many different mystery symptoms, not even just brain symptoms, but gut health, autoimmune. That's the reason why is because depending on which area the brain was impacted could then lead to all these different presentations and, you know, suffering, really. Well, you've got ways to help them. And we want to encourage people to know that there's things they can do and things you can do. So your book is called Brain Save Mm -hmm. and the six-week plan to heal your brain from concussions, brain injuries, and trauma without drugs or surgery. So maybe we can go through this just kind of give people a taste. And then also we can talk about what you can do in your office if people come to you because your book is designed for people to heal themselves at home, but you have a lot of tricks in your office. So in terms of your six-week plan, I actually want to start with week three because I want to make sure we give it enough time where you give people brain exercises they can do at home. And these don't sound hard. I mean, maybe they are hard if you have a brain injury, but they don't sound hard. So tell us about how we're going to do this at home and restore our our sense of balance. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And so the week three, it's all about brain training and activating neuroplasticity like we talked about. And so there's an area that we talked about earlier already, the cerebellum, as well as the vestibular system, they're in charge of balance. And just to speak to your point, Peggy, and I mentioned this earlier, these exercises seem really simple. But if, for example, someone's cerebellum was injured after a concussion and there was damage, the great thing is we can do things as simple as balance exercises to start to trigger neuroplasticity in the cerebellum and the vestibular system. And in my book, I talk about that. And, you know, when it comes to brain training, really personalization is key, right? And when it comes to any of this stuff, personalization is key. So figuring out which area of your nervous system is has been injured if you've had a concussion. And so you can take the five neural network quizzes in my book to figure out Do I even need to do balance exercise, right? So that's one thing. So as simple as balancing. So for example, let's say I work with a patient and I, or they take the quiz and they're like, okay, I scored high in the cerebellum or vestibular system. Then the next step is they can do simple balance exercise to retrain their cerebellum and vestibular system. What's a simple balance exercise? You just stand on one foot? Yeah, exactly. So first and foremost, it really depends on their level of integrity of how strong that area is. I've had some patients where they can't even stand with two feet separated like more than three inches apart. They fall over, right? Wow. Right? Because their cerebellum or their vestibular system has been so injured or it's so inflamed or toxic, right? I always teach my, my private clients and patients, you got to find your flow. The way to go about it is this, right? So step one is stand up. 
and you stand normally, like with your feet maybe at shoulder width apart. If that's easy for you, guess what? There's no changes going to be made, right? When it comes to neuroplasticity, you got to find your flow. You got to find your edge, right? So from there, you know, a simple balance exercise might be, I would imagine majority of people out there listening, like with they're putting their feet together, that could be challenging for some people, right? And if it's not, guess what? Then you make it more challenging. One way of making that more challenging is just like you had said, Peggy, try balancing on one foot. So if you find that standing with both your feet together is too easy for you, try balancing on your left foot. And if that's too easy, try the other side. Try balancing on your right foot. And what I usually find is one side might be a little bit more unsteady than the other. Guess what? That's the side that you really want to exercise. So that's how we personalize it for you. Some patients, when I have them put their feet together, right there, they begin to wobble, right? And then the Olympic athletes I've worked with, they put their feet together while balancing on a tightrope, right? (laughs) And they're totally fine with their eyes closed singing, you know, Yankee Doodle Dandy. So that's, that's the interesting thing about brain function is, you know, when we meet a person wherever they're at, we can always train the brain to make improvements. So that's an example of the simple uh, brain training exercise is balance, believe it or not. If you take those quizzes, I guarantee you, if you're having some type of brain symptom, I guarantee you, you're going to begin to uncover what the potential root causes are for you, right? And that's the beauty of the root cause approach is we're looking at the deeper root causes, not like just the leaves on the tree, right? We're looking at what's happening underneath the soil, right? And then from there, regardless if the person's struggling with focus or concentration, regardless if it's from a concussion or from just years of chronic stress, they can identify the root cause for them by taking those quizzes. And then from there, there's these exercises they can do to begin the healing process. And by the way, right, and it's funny because after I wrote the book, The Six-Week Plan to Heal Your Brain, you know, I have people like, you can't heal your brain in six weeks. And yeah, it's true. You can't, right? It's a long journey. But the reason why I laid it out as a six-week plan is because it's a great starting point, right? And for me, I mean, honestly, it took me me years to heal my brain after a concussion, right? Because I had to do a lot of the trial and error, but because I did, I'm able to give people shortcuts to that healing process. But still, I want to put it on the table right now. Don't expect to read the book, even if you did every single thing I laid out in that six-week plan. Don't expect to completely transform your life, right? It's a process, right? But in the book, I give you a nice roadmap, right? So it's more about like, Trying it out, putting it to the test, seeing what works, letting go of what doesn't, and focus doubling down on the things that work. And through that process, that continual learning process and self-discovery, I firmly believe that healing is possible. Well, let's go through the six weeks and uh, just kind of bullet point-ish because we're... (laughs) We could talk all day and I'd love to, but I want to make sure that people get a sense of the flow of the plan. So week one, you call prime your cells, meaning get your cells ready for this healing. Exactly. And you suggest taking supplements. Start out by giving your brain some some support through supplements. So which supplements would are are the perfect brain supplements. Yeah. And again, I talk about the top five supplements in there because it needs to be personalized to get the best results. 
But one supplement I find to be very helpful after a concussion is what we call magnesium threonate. And there's a lot of research into magnesium threonate and its benefits with cognition as well as brain health. But one of the things that happens is after a concussion, the brain cells become unstable. And what magnesium does, it helps to stabilize brain cells. But the problem is, if you take magnesium, it's not just going to go specifically to your brain. It can go to all areas of your body because it's involved with over 300 enzymatic reactions in your brain and body. So the threonate compound is acts like a chaperone. When you attach the magnesium to the threonate, it can then cross the blood-brain barrier and enter your nervous system and then create that stability. So that's a really important one. You know, and going back to just really briefly about week one primer cells, that's what I found, right? If I've worked with patients where you know, if we give them these brain training exercises, but they're like the environment of their brain, the neurochemical milieu is inflamed or doesn't have the right nutrients. It's like you're taking two steps forward and five steps back. So the way I approach brain health as well as concussion recovery is we need to look at the three pillars of brain health, physical pillar, chemical pillar, as well as emotional pillar. And the chemical pillar refers to that biochemical, neurochemical milieu, right? So things like nutrient status, inflammation, toxins. Uh, And so part of my six-week plan when we talk about priming the cells is to prime the chemical brain, right? So then when we get to week three and do the brain training specifically, then we can start making changes in the physical brain, those neural networks that I referred to before. So yeah, so that's week one is prime your cells. And part of it is supplements. But in addition to priming cells, you know, there's things related to diet changes and whatnot that will help clear out the neurochemical milieu and make the soil ripe. So then when we do the brain training, you know, uh, the person doing those exercises get the most out of it. Not only do you need to do the right thing, Peggy, you got to do it in the right order. Right. You got to do it in the right order. So people today could go out and buy the supplements that you recommend. So those five, there's magnesium, threonine. Um, I'm assuming there's a fish oil kind of thing in there. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. DHA is really important. Docosahexaenoic acid, really important because the synapses are extremely rich in the DHA specifically. And what's really interesting too is there's actually... You know, I wrote that book a few years ago, and I'm always following the latest, you know, cutting edge research when it comes to brain health. Just a real quick side note about DHA. DHA not only is important for the synapses, which is important for how fast your brain communicates, right? When you talk about the efficiency of those neural networks. And so not only is it important for how fast your brain communicates, right? So for example, if it's communicating slow, you can have slow thought processes, right? You can be really have slow thinking, what we call um, the different types of slowness of thought, right? And so not only can you have that issue if you don't have enough DHA, but DHA has been found to also convert to substances, what we call specialized pro-resolving mediators, SPMs, that when your brain is inflamed, the wisdom of your brain and body, then take that DHA and pop it out of the synapses so it can help quench inflammation. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But my point is, you know, based on more recent research I've 
read about. You can actually take specific SPMs, right? When So you kind of cut out the middleman where you don't take the DHA because the DHA, your brain can convert that into the SPMs. But then if you already have neuroinflammation, which most people do with after a concussion, you can just take that SPM, which is a, then you get a lot more neuroinflammation quenching properties. So, well, I think everybody can sense your passion for this and your excitement. You should be excited because, uh, this, this can help so many people who, who need help and they've been looking for help for a long time. And they haven't gotten it. So, okay. So you're week one, you're going to prime your cells. You're going to take your supplements. You're going to get rid of gluten, which is so inflammatory. Week two, put out the fire. <laughs> Just quickly, how are we going to put out the fire? So yeah, putting out the fire again, that refers to neural inflammation. And that's one of the biggest obstacles I've seen a person has from if they can't heal from their concussion is because their brain's on fire. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways of doing it, but a, you know, a foundational just first step approach is to diet changes, identifying the different foods that might be triggering inflammation. But in addition to foods, there could be deeper imbalances like hidden infections or gut dysbiosis. There could be toxins, chronic stress. So the week two, I talk about some foundational things a person can do, make some you know diet changes. And then week three, we talked about brain training. I gave you guys some examples of that, like balance exercise, but there's other ones in the book as well. Week four, we wanna we wanna sleep, we wanna have mini breaks. Yeah, so week four is slowing down. And so one thing I've really found that's really important part of the healing process, not only for concussion, but really just brain health in general, is not just the doing, doing, doing and the training and the exercising and taking supplements. All those things take a lot of mental energy. So week four is all about slowing down. And a lot of the practices I talk about in week four, what we're doing is actually we're activating a neural network related to healing, creativity, and insight, what we call the default mode network. So those really simple looking practices that I recommend in week four, there's actually, by the way, all the little things that I have throughout the six-week plan, they might seem really like, oh, yeah, just taking a little break from my work. That sounds like good. But all those things are rooted in the breakthroughs in neuroscience. (laughs) There's a method to my madness. That's what I mean. I can't tell you how many times when I work with clients or patients, you know, and there's like really simple things that you can read in a blog, right? Or you can listen to a podcast. You're like, oh yeah, I heard about that. But because it's right for them and it's rooted in what's going on with their nervous system, these simple, sometimes five or 10 things I have them do over the course of a few months, boom, those are the needle movers, right? So, but again, right, the key is personalization and in the book, through the quizzes, when you begin to identify what your root causes is and you begin to personalize your own plan, then you can begin that healing journey. And the beautiful thing is it's kind of like the, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> when I was going through my brain health journey and my struggles healing from my concussion, it was dark. There was so much darkness. It was like navigating a maze. But then I would try a few things and I'd be like, oh, there's a little light at the end of the tunnel, just a glimmer, right? And so I just start heading more in that direction. The same thing goes for my patients. Like when we see these little changes 
it not only gives them hope, it gives me confidence that we're moving in the right direction. And guess what? We then double down. And then when it gets bright, you know, at first they're like, oh man, you know, even though I'm improving, it's like a month and it's just a little improvement. I'm like, stay the course because that's a clue we're moving in the right direction. And when it gets brighter and brighter, guess what? We can go faster because we know where the tunnel is. You know, sometimes just these simple little practices, these habits, these rituals that we, I teach my patients and clients to begin implementing. And then finally, it's like the light at the end of the tunnel and they reach their promised land. You use such beautiful words, small changes and simple. We love those words. Exactly. You can't. I mean, don't get me wrong. Healing the brain is not easy, right? Easy means like we can understand it, and but it doesn't take much effort. It's simple. We can, it's easy to understand these things and implement, but it takes a lot of effort. It takes work. But if you have a roadmap that's personalized to you and your brain, guess what? When you remove that guesswork, we can get there a lot faster. Right. And so, again, in the book, since we're talking about my book, right, there's these quizzes to get you started on that path so you can begin to personalize your own roadmap. We've gotten through most of the program on week five. You take out the trash. Yes. And that what's what's the trash? (laughs) So the trash is when we talk about toxins. Right. So I've identified just countless numbers of hidden forces that prevent a person from healing from their concussion. And one big one is toxins. And so chemical toxicity built up from our environments, but then that get built up in our bodies. And depending on our genetic predispositions and single nucleotide polymorphisms, aka our ability to clear those toxins, a person can get really stuck, right? And just be toxic. And I find that to be a major obstacle to the healing from a concussion. And so in week five, I go through some really simple, practical things that a person could do to begin clearing out the trash in their nervous system, in their brain. It's a brain, a really basic steps, the foundational steps of a brain detox process. You, one of them was just to drink more water, right? Just to hydrate. Yes. And that, so that, that comes under simple, <laughs> small steps. Exactly. But right, how many of, and that's the thing, like, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, sometimes these simple practices are what it takes, but there's a difference between common knowledge and common practice. Right. How many of us know that, oh, yeah, we're supposed to exercise, but do we actually do it? <laughs> How many of us know that we're supposed to drink enough water to main, you know, maintain hydration throughout the day? But how, you know, I'm guilty as well. Right, right. Right. So what I do is I just, for example, with water, I just try to drink as much as I can at the beginning of the day because sometimes I get caught up in my life. My life's busy. Right. So it's just simple little hacks we can do. But yeah, the point is like, how many of us know that there's these things that we need to do for our health? We just don't do it. So that's actually one, you know, you know, one thing I see in common with a lot of the patients and clients and the people who really enjoy my work. And I would imagine your audience too, Peggy, that's listening to this, right? We're knowledge junkies. Yeah. We love learning. We, we want to get all the information, yeah. the latest breakthroughs and Absolutely. brain health technologies and cutting edge research, which I is awesome. It. I'm a total nerd when it comes to that. <laughs> and taking that and translating to my patients care my life. But my point is, is a word of caution, right? 
just accumulating knowledge. If you're struggling with a brain health challenge like concussion, that's not enough. You got to then apply that knowledge to your life. And then once you figure out the ones that work for you, you got to stay consistent with that, right? Again, I'm guilty as well. So I try to figure out these ways of building in these rituals that are easy for me, right? Well, that's that's absolutely true. It comes down to consistency, to having a ritual of health, a commitment to health. And of course, if you, as you mentioned, being <laughs> knowledge junkies, which we both are, when you have the knowledge, mm-hmm. it's motivating. So you you understand, you know, it's you're doing something with a with a commitment to its outcome based on reasonable scientific expectations. And the last week, week six, expand your mind. You talked about that at the beginning. Expand your mind to say, what do I want my health for? The ultimate question, why am I getting up in the morning? What is the purpose of what I'm doing? And the more I recover my brain health, the more I optimize my brain health, the more I have the capacity to do what I want. What is Mm -hmm. it I want to do? And that's very profound, can be a life-altering uh, question. Do you, I'm just curious, do you see that with people as they get better? Do they sometimes change course in life and say, Oh, I'm not going to go back to that job or I am going to marry this guy or, you know, do, do you see people make life changes? Absolutely. You know, I see it all the time. And, and that's why I laid out the program as such, right? You can see, like I mentioned earlier, not only do we need to do the right thing, we need to do it in the right order. And so the programs laid out, I mentioned this earlier, the physical, chemical, and emotional, right? Those are the pillars of brain health. But I find that if we try to start using visualization and stepping into, you know, our better or greater selves, if our brains are inflamed, right? And if the areas of our nervous system that allow us to stay committed and focused and follow through, for example, the prefrontal cortex, right? If those areas are injured and they're not working well, it's going to take so much more energy to get there, right? If we don't address those things. So if we address the physical and the chemical, we clear out the trash and we strengthen the neural networks first, I find that people become so much more successful at then using, harnessing the power of their minds in not only the healing process, but really stepping into the life that they they want, right? That they, their, their dreams, right? right? You know, visualizing that. And that was my process too. It's like, you know, I totally believe in the power of our minds right. as uh, just to create the distinction between the brains, right? Right, the brain and the mind. The mind, I think, is more about the, it's not the mechanics underneath it. The brain's like these, you know, tissues and organs that we can exercise on that, but the mind is like, um, it's more subjective, right? And it's more, enters more the world of the psychology and our psyche, right? And our spirit, even. It's like that bridge. And so I've practiced a lot of things in my like visualization and manifesting, you know, my reality and the secret and whatnot. And if like, if, if the mind has the ability to do that, then why aren't we living our best lives? And I found, at least in my journey, is because the foundational structures of the brain needed to get stronger and healthier. So then the mind could actually step into its potential and help us in our, uh, you know, full unlocking our fullest potential. 
And so that's why week six, that's why we start engaging the mind, right? Engaging the power of visualization and manifestation after we've done some foundational work first. And doesn't mean we have to be perfect. Doesn't mean like, you know, don't try to visualize a, a better reality for yourself until you're 110% gluten-free and dairy-free and you're taking all these supplements. It's, it's not about that at all. But I find that if those foundational things are taken care of and then we shift energy to these other areas, right? And then we talk about like the hierarchy of needs even when those things, but it's like the hierarchy of needs are like the physical and the chemical brain then we it doesn't take as much energy right to then really harness the power of our minds and unlock our potentials well that's a beautiful note to wrap up on unlocking our potentials the brain really is the key to all of that i want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge i hope that our listeners take away from it some important thoughts firstly that many mysterious problems they're grappling with may have their root in a brain injury and to consider that and look for help and second of all that there's enormous hope that they, if they, if they find they do have a brain injury, there's enormous hope through the process of neuroplasticity and through the work of brilliant, caring doctors like yourself to get things better. And third, there's a, a process here through which you can start to heal your brain through supplements, through getting rid of inflammatory foods, through doing exercises that stimulate your brain in the best possible way for you and uh, to learn to to rest your brain and to expand your mind's possibilities. All of these things can bring you the future and the life that you want. So, um, Dr. Chu, how can people find you online? Uh, where are you hiding? <laughs> where are you sure. holding for? <laughs> uh, yeah, my website, brainsave.com as well as I'm also on Instagram, as well as Facebook. Great. And people can reach out to you if they want to come and uh, consult you or visit you in California or call you up and do a telehealth appointment. So there's a lot of options here for healing. And so I want everybody to take hope and to believe in a possibility of a better brain. So keep up the good work, Dr. Chu, and thank you so much. Thank you. You too, Peggy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, Brain Health Breakthroughs, just click on the links in the description below. You're listening to Brain Health Breakthroughs, where we help you get smarter, think faster, remember more.